Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, I have a picture actually of me in, a, in one of the high chairs and my uncle has one of the returnable old Milwaukee bottles. <laughs> and I have beer in my glass baby bottle. Holy jeez. So probably that's, I mean, like one, maybe 18 months. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast. I speak with those who have taken the darkest times of their lives and share their stories to educate, motivate, and inspire others to be their best self. That's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. I'm your host, Jason. I accepted that I'm powerless against alcohol, and in my sobriety, I've confronted my unaddressed childhood and adult trauma, as well as severe anxiety and depression. On this episode of Knocking Doors Down, I welcome the author of The Making of a Woman, Jules, to this episode of Knocking Doors Down. She's an intriguing lady, and I was highly fascinated with her story because she is so incredibly transparent. Not only will we get into uh, how she fell into her addiction, the rough childhood she had that included sexual abuse at a very young age, how she utilized her sexuality as a survival tool, and now being open and honest about living an alternative lifestyle with her spouse. We get into that, plus some tools, why she was fascinated with bodybuilding, and the rigorous dedication Jules has had towards achieving goals in her sobriety. She's a fascinating woman, and I was really honored to have had a conversation with her. I hope you enjoy it. Please check out all of her social media and the book by clicking the links in the podcast description. If this is your first time listening, please hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and please subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. All the links are in the description. We couldn't do knocking doors down without 5150 LTM. If you want some cool hats, shirts, sweatshirts, maybe some sweatpants, I've got my favorite camouflage 5150 sweatpants on right now. Head on over to the store and check it out by going to 5150LTM.com or click the link in the podcast description. Then at checkout, use the code KDD20. That's KDD20 and get 20% off your entire order. Jules, The Making of a Woman from the Inside Out is the book. I'm speaking with the author. Thank you for joining me on Knocking Doors Down. You are so welcome. Thank you. Yeah, well, this has been a pursuit for a while. I think we've been trying <laughs> a couple months, but with those crazy schedules. Um, yeah. You know, the book, it, the, when I was going through it, the chapter that stuck out to me the most, chapter two, seen, not heard. I don't know how many times when people ask me, what do they think was uh, some of that stuff that led me to alcoholism? That title, that chapter title right there. For you, how, why, why see, not heard? What was it in Jules' story that, that really, because that's really touching on your childhood. I remember you talking about your stuffed animal Grover and. Yes. 
I still have Grover, by the way. Do you? <laughs> I do. I actually have a, a picture of him and I on my IG. You got to check him out. He is ragged. He's <laughs> showing he did not age well <laughs> or gracefully, I should say. <laughs> well, he is Grover. So. He's Grover, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, that was a stage in my life where my mom had just remarried. Mm. And before I was an only child. Right. I was my I was a daddy's little girl. I mean, I was just I was admired and praised and loved unconditionally. Right. And then now we've like shifted into this madhouse of like I'm become one of six kids. Right. We're, we're living in a, in a trailer, you know, and it's just I mean, we're packed in kind of like rats. And and like all of a sudden it's like. I'm just I'm kind of invisible. You know, my mom shifted into this. I don't know if it was like a survival mode, but like literally if you, when you look at the, the establishment, she lived in the front portion and I lived in the back. So even on a physical level, she had detached from me. Right. And so in, in with this new dynamic and I mean, he he was uh, my new stepfather was just I mean, he was big and and he was from the military and he just had that real, you know, that, that's that stereotypical like uh, demeanor and and yeah it was best if we were seen and not heard and and so amongst all of that chaos I just thought myself like I when I look back to that space I just shrink yeah. shrink because I didn't want to be in the limelight anymore I did not want to be daddy's little girl anymore like those were some very very unsafe places for me that's interesting you talk about shrinking because I still struggle. I'm six, three, but you know, about 170 soaking what, but I still have this thing where I hunch and I have to work on it. It, it that demeanor. And I know, and I want to get into your bodybuilding later for my own selfishness. Cause it's mm-hmm. something I want to implore, mo- employ more in my life. But did you carry that throughout that really kind of through teenage years, early years being more meek? I think when I was younger, it was on a physical and then as I grew older, it became more of a psychological. Right. So that's when I think my ego took over and, you know, I was a loud mouth and I was promiscuous. And so on the outside, as we say, I, my insides didn't match those outsides. Yeah. But on the inside, I was still that, you know, that really just a real frail. That, that little person was so frail because yeah. there, there was just the trust was like almost like ripped off. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that it took a while, even in recovery, to, to let that like stand back up and roll my shoulders back without hearing the chatter in my head of how ridiculous it looked. Yeah, boy, that that voice, those voices that can permeate from childhood, man, that I, I often say we're all a bunch of damaged children just walking around, you know? Um, yeah. Let's dig a little into to the trauma. Uh, you know, I mean, divorce is hard enough. You were what about six, seven when your parents divorced? Uh, like seven, eight, seven, right eight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's hard enough. But then when you had other traumas introduced, and and there was a good amount of sexual trauma that occurred as well. There was a lot, a lot, a lot of changes, and they happened rapidly. And I had nobody to bounce things off of. Right. Right? I think that was the hardest part. And then, of course, you know, here I am. I'm a kiddo who's now moved. So even the structure of 
my teachers, you know, they don't know who I am. I don't have, you know, I have no rapport with them. So it was almost like I was just, I was just taken out of that, that dynamic and, and brought into an area where nobody had to recognize me. And like I said, I wish that nobody did. Yeah. Which is, which is a little weird because we have this inner thing where we're screaming to get out, but yet at the same time, we kind of don't want to be, you know? Yeah. Uh, I sit in some modes at times, and uh, I, I said this to my girlfriend, like, no one invites us to do anything. And then when they do, I'm like, oh, God, we got invited to do something. <laughs> I'm not going to go anyway. <laughs> yeah, screw that, man. Uh, so um, as you detailed in the book, uh, going through the different traumas that you, you did. Um, one of the things I didn't catch, where did dad go at this time? Your birth father, uh, my biological father. Yes. My mom then made the decision that we were no longer going to have contact with him. And so, yes. So then he was, he was pretty much ostracized at this time. I mean, we're in the seventies. And so this is at the time where you're, uh, your integrity. I mean, y- you are totally judged on your character. Right. And so the banks wouldn't give him a loan. I mean, ev- it was small town. It was, it, it was that stigma of you were just, this, you know, the small town drunk. Right. And, and so my dad was dealing with all of that. And then ultimately my mom remarried into this family and then we moved right out of sight, out of mind. And then that's when I, you know, I took on the last name of this new family. I mean, it was just kind of like, all right, like it just did not fit. Mm-hmm. Nothing fit. And so here I have like the, 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 the despair of my, my daddy's gone. Right. And I really don't understand why. Um, because of course, all of the things that happened for that separation, I, I was sleeping. I wasn't really a part of all that. And so then, you know, we move um, into this new area, you know, my, my stepbrother, he, the babysitting stage, right. Before my new parents were even married, you know, he was showing me uh, adult books saying, this is what, this is what you'll do as a woman. When you grow up to be a woman, if you want to be a big girl, I mean, all of those things, Um, which again, that didn't, it was very, very opposite. I'm, I'm seven, I'm eight. What do you mean? I'm, yeah. I play, <laughs> I, I put, I put, uh, um, uh, playing cards in the spokes of my wheels. Like, what do you mean? This is what women do. Right. So, um, and so this is going on. And then I have the very like heavy demeanor of my, of my new stepfather. My mom is absent, you know? And so it's just this, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. and so, and, and I'm scared. I'm just scared. And then what happens is the trauma that starts that I'm pushing down, pushing down by being quiet, you know, kids are meant to be seen, not heard. What's happening is this is starting to turn into a rage because it's not coming out. And so the abuse continues, continues, continues. And this starts to seep to the top. And now I fall under the category of you're too emotional. Settle down. Girls don't supposed to be loud. So then I shift into a whole other box. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, 
Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. When, when is that shift to when you start using substances? I'm going to guess maybe alcohol first. You know, I, in the Midwest, that's something, <laughs> this is the time when you would give, uh, put a little brandy on your baby's gums if they were teething. Right. To calm them down, you put a little, little alcohol on their gums. You know, um, I have a picture actually of me in, a, in one of the high chairs and my uncle has one of the returnable old Milwaukee bottles <laughs> <laughs> and I have beer in my glass baby bottle. Holy geez. So probably that's, I mean, like one, maybe 18 months. So yeah, it, it's just been a part of my life all my life. In yeah. fact, I didn't even know it was the damn problem. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't even know. And how do we when it's our environment? Not only are you sharing that it was a day and age and a time that, that the whole environment is that, but mm-hmm. let alone clearly, you know, there, there's, they're fine with alcoholics and a great gentleman that's been on here, Dr. Rob Kelly and all of his research. He's an alcoholic. He's like, we're born. Yeah. We're born. So you have all that stimulus right there that alcohol is just, it's just what you do. Exactly. Oh my yeah. gosh. I call it, it's like the condiments on the table, the salt and the pepper, you know, <laughs> the mustard and the ketchup. <laughs> oh, good gosh. I found that a lot of my anger came with puberty because that confusion started. And so I was confused. Very similar story. Pornography shown to me, um, which I've shared about here with, with my dad and thinking those things. And yet here I was insecure, getting no response from girls whatsoever. What's wrong with me? You know, all these different things. So when for you, did you really in reflection start to see that? Because a lot of people tell me, is that puberty? No, that's super interesting. Because I'm on the other end of that spectrum. Right. So the sexual abuse actually became my, my vehicle, my, you know, being promiscuous. Right. Got me to where I needed to be. So I lost my virginity when I was 12. Mm. But again, (laughs) sex has been in my life. Yeah. Since I was nine. Yeah. Doing this as a truth or dare is no big deal. Right. I have a very absent mother who didn't have those conversations with me. Of course, I want to fit in with the cool kids. And it's something I've done before, let's face it. Yeah. So, you know, so I think it's been, it's been a combination. So, you know, when puberty did hit, that's really where like those rages really, I mean, I was just like, I don't give a fuck. You know, I'm promiscuous. I'm not listening to anybody. Um, We actually, um, my family actually comes back to the Midwest for a divorce. And at that time, I'm right around, I'm about going into ninth grade. And so if you can imagine, here I am, I'm this California girl, I'm loud and just all outspoken and and, and dressing the part. And uh, and then I moved back to a very rural um, town. In, in, in a small town in, in the, one of the states in the Midwest. And 
I was brought into the counselor's office and this is what just blows my mind. This tells me there's got to be a source because I don't know if there's this many people who can fuck it up. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. source had to have something to do with this because uh, I just don't think this is humanly possible that <laughs> this many things could line up. Like there's, there's a message here. So I went in and I was told, you know, by the counselor that, you know, Jules, you're, you're really just not going to be very successful here. Uh, and I'm in ninth grade. It's like that first semester where you kind of do the check-in and, 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 you know, I was like thinking to myself, of course, I'm not going to be, you know, I don't look like any of your people. I, you know, it's, and it was almost like I had adult life skills trying to be high schooler. Right. I was too big. I was too big, you know? And so, and he's like, you know, there's, there's other ways to get your high school diploma. And that's all I heard. And that's all I needed to hear. And I dropped out and I hit the pavement hard and that's where it all began. Yeah. So at age, what is that? Like 14, 15, when you get into, you know, freshman year, I have an adult tell me you get out of jail free, baby. That's exactly what I did. I ran from all that shit where I ran to. I had no idea, but I was going to do it my way. We're going to start we're because we're, we know everything at that age. So we're going to start our journey because uh, older people, you don't know shit. But it's no. not like anyone was talking to you really anyways, like talking no. at you, but not talking yes. with you. Big difference. Yeah. Big difference. You know, and I had to go through the, the whole healing prospect or process of how did my mom not see this? How could you not see your daughter get sucked into this huge family. How did she, how can you not see she's getting lost? I mean, my grades reflected it. My personality reflected, I mean, just all of the signs, Yeah. you know, which men made me realize like, what would it have been to be a mom in that situation? Perhaps she did know, but because of the way things were set up during that time, she had no other choice than to stay in a stable setting. Yeah. I don't know what she made an hour. I don't know what she was willing to sacrifice. I, I, I was never in those shoes. Yeah. And it's important that we reflect back. I I've, I've had to do that with my parents too. And, and, you know, my dad, of course, who was the exposure, the one that exposed me to pornography, I, he was an addict and, and, and I actually have an unreleased episode I did with him that I just don't know that I can do yet. Uh, it's so emotionally tough, but, um, you know, we had a lineage of sexual addiction and abuse on the male side with him and he went through it. And so, you know, reflecting back, of course, he wasn't going to steer me in a different direction. He's loading himself up with chemicals and he's getting the chemical stimulus from, you know, being promiscuous outside of the marriage and, and pornography and all these things because it was the environment that he knew as well. So he didn't think yeah. he was doing anything that was wrong, let alone, uh, you know, I'm a little bit younger than you, not much, but our, our parents, and it's not a knock society was different as far as emotional maturity, you know? Oh Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I try to look back at that one and there was a, any sort of anger that was still lingering and working my sobriety. It was like, yeah, it's a different day and age. And it, it really it, is. It doesn't give it, you know, an excuse per se, but it helps you understand. Yeah. So yeah, it does. Uh, it w- that was really, really valuable. Um, but 
So you're at this point. Fuck it. I'm off to the races. I'm doing what Jules wants to do. Uh, When do we really like, I mean, your life, gosh, I don't know. An hour isn't enough to talk through these things because I really want to get to so many of the different tools that you've used to, to find but when do we really start ramping it up? I know other drugs come into play. And of course, what we'll talk about with your, your sexuality and, and different things like that that are so insightful. But when are we really starting to just get like problems? When does it hit the problems when it's causing you financial, legal? I'm grateful. I, I never got legal. That's still on the yet agenda, right? Um, <laughs> it just means I didn't get caught. Um, that's the only difference. Um, I always get caught, Jules. <laughs> but I was, you know, I was constantly moving, moving, moving. You know, that's back when the internet was starting to boom, chat rooms are happening. And mm-hmm. let's face it, I can chameleonize like the best of them. Yeah. And so now, the internet takes me to all of these places and I can be exactly who you want me to be or who I think you want me to be, right. you know? And, and there's a lot of hope in that because ultimately people think, you know, oh, she just went out and partied and she was irresponsible and up all night and blowing Coke and okay, let's scratch that. That's Hollywood. Right. Like what really happened is I wanted nothing more than to make enough money and get some sort of education So I could get my feet underneath me. I wanted nothing more than for everybody else to go the fuck away. Like Mm. I want, I don't want to have to keep doing things to keep a roof over my head. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't want to be this little, this little puppet. And so I I have seven transcripts. I am, I mean, I was desperate for change. Right. Right. But again, the alcoholism, the delusions, the not being able to see the big picture, hanging out with people who clearly, I mean, have no idea. I mean, I'm, I'm water seeks its own level, you know? And, and so I circled that drain for 19 years, you know? And, and that, that the, the will, the will and the courage to not, not stop. Yeah. And so, um, and it just, it pretty much... The last three years, I had to pull out my tax returns to be able to figure out, like, where did I live and where did I work? And I moved 13 times. Holy heck. That's once a quarter, once every 12 weeks. That's, that was the cycle of my relationships from dating to blowing up and moving out. Did you go through a cycle where it's pretty much this was something that that was me? I I wasn't a uh, wasn't a cheater or anything like that. Although my my porn struggles were underlying in in all my relationships till I really confronted it. But I always seemed to intrigue and have someone ready once this relationship ended. Absolutely, and better yet, this one ended because I was ready to go to the next one. Right. Because the other one was dying. Yeah. And again, I'm just trying to survive out there. Right. There would, there would be no question. So, so yeah, I would, <laughs> I would go to visit and I would just never stop being the guest. <laughs> and then I had the sex. So then that's, I mean, that draws in a lot of people that yeah. open mindedness to do this and that. And, yep. you know, that could be a pink cloud for, for many weeks. You yeah. know, so I manipulated the situations with the trauma and the tools that I had been given in the previous phase of life. Yeah. 
And so, um, but the, the, the magical day, the magical day, I didn't even realize what was happening. Not even a clue. I was in the back of a car and I'd nonchalantly said to my friends, I just wish I didn't drink so much. Hmm. And within 30 minutes, I was sitting in the rooms of recovery. Wow. I don't know what it was. I don't know. I can't. If there, was, there was none of the things people tell me it was supposed to be, could be. I don't know. I went into this room and I was disgusted. These people, they stunk. They were nothing like me. They're the hoity-toities or they're the, you know, the, the bottom drinkers. I mean, there was just nobody in there was at my caliber. <laughs> Right. Which now I see I really needed to be in that room, right? And I cried the whole hour. Wow. I hadn't cried in like eight years. Wow. Like my life would never allow that. That that's total defeat. Right. And I haven't picked up a drink since. Wow, that gave me the chills. And that was in 07. Wow. And you're right. And that's the hard thing of getting some people. I've started to do a little bit of sponsor work is them going, well, I'm nothing like these people. <laughs> that's a, so such a common thing. It's like, sure, sure. We're not. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Jules, that's amazing. That gave yeah. me the chills. And looking back and especially like writing the book with Marlena, I mean, that's what we did during COVID. You know, I'm like, I got to be of service. Sources put this in line to me multiple times that, you know, I need to be doing this. You know, you know how it is. You tell a normie your story and they're like, dude, you need to write a book. (laughs) So I finally just wrote the book and the title. I mean, she's almost like an entity of her own. Mm -hmm. You know, the making of a woman from the inside out is totally what this story is about. And and it's it's not necessarily the 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 events that took place because as humans as we know as humans we can talk about the ball game or the foot you know the foot game football game whatever but really it's how we feel mm-hmm. when we had the experience that's why movies are so amazing yeah. right like it just takes me in that's why you got chills as i shared that bit with you because we have this this language of the heart is what i've heard it called And so that is how we navigated through the storylines, you know, and that's how, which is super awesome that people can be right there with me through these ups and these downs and the despair and the, we're here again. And, oh my God, are we getting ahead? And, and it takes you right along and it's a very powerful story listened and read through that, that avenue. I think so. And, and one of the things that intrigued me is your absolute openness about your sexuality. You do highlight in there um, an event that it, it, it really, I think, it was the first excerpt that I read from the book that really touched me that, it, that I was like, boy, I, I really want to understand a little bit more. But you're talking about an instance where in, in you're swinging with another couple was, was it, was it Matt, your then husband? That oh, was he is still out. my then husband. Is he, is he? Oh, okay. <laughs> I couldn't find, I couldn't find anything. So I wasn't sure if you folks were still yeah. married, but, but you're talking about an instance and, and you're very open about that. And it intrigues me because I've thought 
could I ever have that kind of lifestyle? And just with the work on myself, I'm like, no, but I don't have any judgment. I just know for me, I would probably overindulge. And then I would uh, sidebar stuff and hide it and, and feel shame. So I love that you talk about your life. You own it. No shame. This is just, this is who I am, which I applaud you for because so many people sit in judgment. It's like, Fuck, yeah. if, you, if, if, if there was a camera for all the stupid shit I did that was wrong, it's like, who am I to have any sort of thing? But it really made me do an, a really neat introspective look. And the part that caught me and got me emotionally talking about a, an instance where uh, yourself, Matt, another couple, and it's the way in which he touches this woman because it wasn't just raw sexual expressions, almost like a loving embrace. And there was something in you that triggered. And that was a big, wow moment for me. And I'm, I, I know you put it in the book for you. It was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was most interesting with all of this, especially the, the sexual realm of this entire story, right? This lifeline that I have is that I've grown through things. I've done a lot of work, right? Mm-hmm. And I've really, really picked apart what is mine and what wasn't mine. So for instance, I'm a good person with a bad disease. Mm -hmm. I'm not a bad person. You know, things like that, like things that would allow my heart to open up a little bit, right? Because before it had to stay closed. It was, it was survival. And then to be, you know, it's, I don't know where that will say courage comes from, to share so openly, I only know that how I feel when another woman does that to me and how connected I feel to her, how loved I feel and accepted by, you know, maybe it's the complete opposite of what we were talking about earlier of having to curl in and go small. Sure. You know, maybe she's actually identifying. She's witnessing me validating me. I've got chills all over my arms. You know, maybe that's what it is. And so, and, and, and I know now, you know, by practicing this, by me initiating that ultimately allows that other person, that space, the doors open, baby. You don't even have to put your hand on the knob, right? Like I've already revealed, you know, um, and, and, and keeping in mind along that journey, my trust was gone, gone. And let's face it, I couldn't even trust myself. Every decision I was making was crap. So, I mean, it was trust in others and trust in myself. And so to actually get in a long-term marriage, my longest relationship before Matt was a year and a half. (laughs) I'm at eight right now with him. (laughs) So, but I mean, it, Hook, like they talk about the layers, right? The layers pulling back in. Yeah. And it took going. And oh my God, I have to just take a side, side note. I would have such crazy chatter, right? In my head, you know. <laughs> and, and it got to the point where he's like, I am going to out talk that tape that plays in your head. Mm-hmm. And so every morning I would wake up and I would roll over. He, he, gives me my cup of coffee in the morning. He's fantastic. And on there would be a little post-it note that says, I'm not going anywhere. Wow. I'll find these post-it notes all over. I'll still find them some days today. 
right? I'm not going anywhere. And you'll see that in the front of the book, actually. There's a dedication to my husband who says, I'm not going anywhere. And it was that constant to get to the point where I could actually consider, consider, because let's, let's face it, the, the men in my life before were my bread and butter. Right. The men in my life, they were the ones who put a roof over my head. I mean, they were, they were, they were my everything. And you want me to share him? What? With my, my currency? Yeah. Are you nuts? Yeah. There was a lot of uncomfortable times, but then the cool thing was, is that he, he told me about his jealousy. Blue, blue, pop, pop my top off. Like, like what? Like you experienced jealousy? And he's like, of course I do. I'm like, no, you don't. You're a man. Why would I not? Uh, and so we have this little thing. It's kind of like we like like if you're taking this little gut wrench, you know, I'm kind of doing this gut wrench like this. Yeah. And, and so now that's our that's our little sign. So he'll get the little gut wrench and I'll get, you know, whatever. And we're, that's our ripcord. But, you know, it was to be able to go into that space and actually connect with him. Yeah. That he knows what that feeling feels like. Yeah. So when you talk about I'm afraid to you know, tap sure. into something like this that, you sure. know, well, you know, fear is for a reason as well. It's a great navigator. Yeah. Right. And so intuitively, if that's what you're hearing, that's truth. Yeah. There was a lot of steps along my way, but now I see the things that once that once caused me harm are now the gifts that I can give. Right. So because I was promiscuous, the harm that had been done, I now have eyes and ears for things that a lot of people don't. I have empathy. I understand what it means to be the outsider, to enjoy things with my body that other people can't understand or heaven forbid, don't touch there. Right. Right. So it, it's, it's all this, that balance. Remember we started with that word in the beginning balance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the thing I still struggle with. <laughs> yeah. 5150 is a lifestyle. We believe in pushing yourself, finding your passion, knowing your dreams and working hard, and always striving to make those dreams your reality. We believe life is too short to sit back and say, what if? Go after it, grab it, and make it happen. Being 5150 is committing to that long, hard road. That road you know is going to be tough, but the most rewarding. That's living the madness. That's 5150. If you're living the 5150 lifestyle, then celebrate by rocking the goods. So listen up. There's a special deal for listeners of Knocking Doors Down. Go to 5150LTM.com and enter code KDD20 and receive 20% off your purchase. That's 51FIFTYLTM.com. You know, I, I, when I'm hearing, I, I, I remember back and, and one of the things that uh, intrigued me, I think it was the Playboy series or something. They had that about the swinger lifestyle. Another opening up, maybe I haven't talked about on here with the pornography, but I remember sitting and watching that series, not for the, the, the sexual acts, but it was really intriguing to me, the conversations that the couples had because it was really open, honest, and vulnerable. And I share my stance because my partner, she and I, we've had very open, honest conversation and we just know not for us, you know, again, not a place of judgment at all. Who might have fucking judged for, you know, so it, that's really intriguing that you, you made a note to include that in there, because I think regardless 
of someone's lifestyle, their perspective on your, your husband and other people's lifestyles, that thing misses from so many relationships where you just get rigorously honest about yourself and with your partner. It is. And, and that's kind of what we're tapping on, right? This right. connection between humans. We talked about it like in recovery, right? This is on a sexual realm. People, let's face it, humans, they, they want to be, they want to be loved. Mm-hmm. We, we want to be loved and accepted exactly the way we are. And, you know, some of, and I think, you know, I have this stigma in my head about swingers, right? I see the hairy chest and the gold chain. And, I mean, I, I, you got to be in Florida somewhere. I hey, mean, Jules, what's going on? Get over here. Hey, exactly. Crack your ass. Yeah, I, I have it. I have that stigma. Um, but then when I look at, you know, those conversations, you know, um, Real quick, I, I had met a couple, uh, we were at one of the resorts and it was just more of like a lifestyle resort. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more of like, if you like to do this, but if you like to just hang out with naked people, I mean, it was kind of very, very, very bland, very vanilla, wasn't any expectations. And, and we had become friends and we had done a couple trips together. We did some sailing together. It just turned into a, a beautiful relationship. And so, and uh, my, my book was released. And of course I sent him, sent her a copy and she had an incident where she was in a real dark place Mm. and her husband flies nights and wasn't, you know, kind of wasn't able to catch things at the right time. And, and she had attempted suicide. Oh my gosh. And on her way, on her way to treatment. So she got the book in the mail and she threw it in the bag And as she was on her way to treatment, she started reading my book. And she sent me a text that said, if I would have read this book two days ago, I wouldn't be in this, in this plane. Wow. That type of shit right there gives me the fucking courage. I'm going to, I'll tell you, I'll tell you my shit. I will tell you what it takes. So somebody doesn't have to do that. Holy crap. So we are meant to love and we are meant to, to connect, you know, in the ego, the ego, I'm grateful for her because she protected me when I was in battle. Yeah. I'm not in battle anymore. I've got this amazing source. I got it. I'm guided by it. I feel it in my heart. I, I meditate. I mean, I've got a different source, right? That's, I, want, I, I have no desire to drink or drug. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love you for it. You. Wow. Thank you for sharing. You got me teared up. It's been a, been a couple episodes since I cried. Thanks, Jules. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so how did the bodybuilding, a part of loving your body, did you hold in reflection, maybe a shame towards your body, even though it was a tool, because it's the interesting duality of who we are. And I can relate to what you said. Ego helped me survive. These tools helped me survive. Now they're not survival tools anymore. They're, they're, they're thriving tools. They're the thing, the essence of who and what you are as a woman. Um, how, how did the bodybuilding come into play with that? Because I, I had a lot of body shame. 
And so I'm asking from a selfish standpoint. You know, it's, it's one of those, uh, I had a sponsor one time say, when are you going to stop hating your body? Hmm. And I was kind of taken back by it. Um, I look at, from my experience at this stage, the way I see it is I have both masculine and feminine energies before, even though I was in a feminine body, I really had to be in the masculine. I had to protect myself. I needed to provide myself. I mean, all of the things for survival. I have, I, I have appreciation for that. Um, also in my book, you have read about being a female dominant, right? Okay. So that is kind of, we'll just have to throw it out for some of your viewers. So like, kind of like that dominatrix umbrella. And please, if you don't understand the two, please take a couple minutes to educate yourself because they're not the same, right. but they do fall into that adult industry. And so as a female dominant, I also have a lot of quote unquote power influence um, nurturer, you know, disciplinarian, those sorts of things. And so when I first got into bodybuilding, this is just, <laughs> it's so human. Um, <laughs> I was like, I am 40 years old and I want the cellulite off my, off my thighs. I hate it. I hate it. And so I went into one of those big boy bodybuilding gyms and cause those girls don't have a stitch of cellulite. Right. I said, I want what you have, right? Repeating what I've learned in the rooms. I want what you have. I'll do whatever it takes to get it. And so I did. And for that first year, I did not get off that meal plan. I ate every meal, every, you know, six meals every day. I drank my gallon of water. I didn't have a cheat meal for a year. Wow. I was desperate for change. And I started to see it. Then, of course, you get rolling along and people's like, oh, my God do you compete? And I'm thinking, no, are you nuts? Like, I know, you know, you don't see in yourself what others see. Right. And so then, you know, things change, got different trainers, la, 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 la. And somebody said, you should give it a shot. I'm 44. This is where it's very important. The the stigma and dogma of others, what to listen to and what not. And so I thought, why not? And I did. I placed third. There was only three of us, but I placed third, <laughs> I took my little metal home. I was very excited <laughs> and pretty much just, you know, just continued on my path. Um, I don't feel shame in my body because I've done the work of my sexuality. Right. Right. I've done a lot of workshops with all women. We'll sit there in the nude and we'll just, we'll explore and we'll touch and we'll understand each other's. And I've done a lot of energy work on my body. So that shame does not reside. Right. Um, but that what has happened is, is like now is like I have sculpted a body that I find is art. When you look at art in the museum, you see that chiseled, beautiful body, the, you, the effort that went into it, the, everything about it. I just admire that. Yeah. And so I continued along my journey. I got another coach. I did another show. I took third once again. And uh, one of the judges contacted my coach and said, you know, there's one show left this year. And I think if we put her in figure, she would do better. 12 days later, 
I have to learn how to walk in heels. I mean, whole, I'm just a mess. <laughs> the I'm bikini, the, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, <laughs> you know, hangry is a totally different definition. Um, and so, and so I knocked it out of the park. I took a first, a second and a third, and I qualified for nationals. Wow. Then following year, I took third at nationals. That's badass. And that was last year. That's so awesome, Jules. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, the, the, the work that goes into it, man, is, yeah. is, is phenomenal. And I love what you said there is that it, it was once again, that desperation that, that for those of us in recovery talk about. And I tell everyone, I think there should be a 12-step program implemented in high school. I think it would help oh, gosh. help yeah. tremendously. Um with, with our youth, especially going out now with so many things that they are facing, that's, that's mm-hmm. insurmountable. Anyways, I could go off on that forever, but we're talking about you. Uh, yeah. Congratulations to uh, the making of a woman won a Firebird, uh, Firebird book award. Two of them. You got first She's place the, L- now. the yeah. LBGTQ. And then what was the other one? Autobiography. Was a bio. Yep. Biography. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's done fabulous. We got a bunch of podcasts. I mean, she's an entity of her own. Totally. Yeah. I, it's been, a, it's been a fun ride. <laughs> it's interesting. You go state the, the, the title of the book, the making of a woman from inside out. How now with where you're at in life, you know, some people might have a judgment. I, I think your figure is beautiful for people that are listening or uh, to the episode, watching it on YouTube, see the stuff that was posted on social media, the you, amazing black and white photography of you and how sculpted you are. And I love that kind of stuff. I might tell you a funny story about when I went and saw the statue of David here in a second, but how do you look at femininity woman by, by definition? Now we're in such an interesting time. Or some people won't answer that or they get offended. But how do you, how do you look, look at it? I think there's the difference of the energy within and the energy without on the outside and with the inside. Mm. Again, the masculine and the feminine are like our two main energies. Sure. So on Tuesday, I may wear a ball cap and a pair of tennis shoes. And on Thursday, I may wear a pair of heels. And, you know, so I personally, as with anybody, have that choice of how I want to slide on that scale, mm-hmm. right? I don't think as, I don't, I don't think source made us so black and white. I think boxes and rules and these sorts of things give people who don't understand, give them comfort. Like people go into a, they, I'll put you in a box because then I know exactly what to expect from you. Right. Right. Okay. So it's fear-based. Okay. There's either love or fear. So if I'm working through eyes of love, there is no, there's no wrong way to be a woman. I actually blogged about that on International Women's International Day a couple of years back. You know, if you think about it as a woman, here's my little, let me get on the soapbox real quick. You know, it's like, I am told how to wear my hair, how to wear my makeup, how to, you know, how should I dress? I mean, black women are told about, you have short hair, have long hair. My God, I am told how to have sex. Do I fuck loud? Do I fuck quiet? Do I fuck with the lights on? The lights off. Everything. I am judged by somebody else. Mm-hmm. So there is no wrong way to be a woman. Some of the most amazing women I have met have been extremely butch, have the biggest loving hearts. 
dog lovers. You know, I've, I've, and, and let's face it, transgendered people who don't even fit in either box. Mm-hmm. They're actually seen by Native Americans as being the higher ones mm-hmm. because they can see from both angles. You know, so I think with anything, we, I think, again, it's more comforting to look outward because then that means I don't have to look inward. Yeah. But as we know, that's not where the shit's at. Yep. It's, it's here. So for me, I've had to learn to really be okay with as I am. I'm, I'm a muscular woman and I have a pair of heels on right now. You know, this is my duality. All of this is authentic. So there's no fear. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, I, uh, um, I had a great conversation with Caitlyn Jenner years ago oh. and, and posed that to her as well to, to kind of ask. And it was it was really interesting because uh, she made a great joke. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it takes me a lot longer to get ready in the morning, but it, it, it cracked me up. And then right after that, we're talking motorsports because I'm a motorsports aficionado. And and she takes me out to show me her Porsche and the car that she that, that, that she had bought because her dad had it. And, uh, you know, it was just it was beautiful. So thanks for sharing. All right. My story of David real quick. I yes, told yes, this on the pod. Turn. So we're in Europe, my mom, myself, my aunt, my grandparents, these are my mom's parents. And my grandma has to see the statue of David. And I'm like, I'm in. So everybody's like, we got to take a different train. All this like, look, grandma wants to see it. I want to see it. Let's go. I mean, you know, I love art. And and I've always been a fan of bodybuilding, too, as, as a kid. I just couldn't, couldn't achieve it. I just I'm an ectomorph. I can't gain weight to save my life. So we take this long train ride, go into the museum. My grandma walks directly right ahead looks up and in my recollection, she was looking right at the penis and just goes, eh, not that impressive and walks away. <laughs> and I'm like, really, grandma? All this way. And I'm like blown away. Like, my God, somebody sculpt. Look how amazing this thing. <laughs> and just not that impressive. Walks away <laughs> like a six hour train ride to get the. Uh. Well, Jules, before we get to some random questions, and I like to leave the guest with a, a final thought, but I really want to dig into um, your daily work with yourself. Um, selfishly, I've been uh, picking off of people's different stuff. So can you talk me through a, maybe an average morning? What's the get up routine? What's the, the focus for the day and, and so on? You know, it's changed over the years. Right. But where I'm at right now and what's really worked um, for the last few, probably year and a half now, is I, I live in Texas. So it's very, very hot here. But what I've done is I've set my terrace up with a, you know, a fan that kind of has a little mister going on. And, you know, and I have this beautiful setup out there and it's real tranquil to me. And so every morning I go out and I grab some literature and I grab my journal have my earbuds. And what I do is I, I, I read something spiritually based, mm. something to kind of get my brain rolling on the right track. Um, and then I will, I will journal on it. There are times when I, when it's like, I don't want to talk about what's in the, in my book, right? Like whatever it is, it's like, I don't want to talk about humility or, you know, And what I do is I make sure I sit there for a moment and I'll be like, what do I supposed to write about? And it'll be something else that comes up. 
And then I will literally like write, write a whole page on it. Right. So I, I use it as a guide, but I'm very careful not to try to manage it. After that, what I do after I feel like I'm pretty, you know, pretty cleansed out on thoughts and I'm on the right track, then I roll out my yoga mat, keep my earbuds in. I put on, I do um, inside timer and I turn on like morning, morning meditation music. And that's the ones that have the different types of beats in the background. And so I do that and I go through a series of poses and this is where I connect with my body. And I hear like, you know, what's tight, what's not, you know, like what, you know, as a bodybuilder, my body is changing every day. I, I, I train it differently all the time. And so I really be able to connect my head to my heart. And so at that stage, then I'm like, okay, you know, and then I go and I feed myself, you know, I sip on some coffee. I like to ease into my day instead of plunge into my day. That was a huge learning curve for me. Because I mean, you, you hit the door running, right? Like you hit the, hit the ground running and, and that just, that's what sets me up for the rest of that day. So that was a, that was a key factor for me to just ease into my day. Sure. Yeah. I've had people tell me that that's a big area I need to work on. Cause they're like, you, you literally, if you, if you don't, especially for me, the type of person I am, they're like, you can immediately go into flight or fight or flight right away. And no wonder you're still really struggling with anxiety. And I'm like, shit, you're right. Cause you're physically putting yourself in it, in a fight or flight yeah. physically yeah. by moving quickly. I mean, there's a totally different reaction if you ease into something with your, you know, opposed to rapidly. Yeah. 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 Cause I'm like, okay, kids get up. Come on. We got to get out the door shortly. Make sure you eat something, you know, don't forget to brush your teeth. It's that frantic. Uh, and just that uh, vibration makes me like. <laughs> sure. Have you known that? Like there are people where you're like, oh my God, you leave there. You're like, I am exhausted. Mm -hmm. Or the ones that you leave and you're like, oh my God, I'm so, you know, I'm so thrilled. Let's, let's do this. And I want to try this and that. And these are the vibrations we can share with people. Yeah. Which means that we can also pick them up too. Yeah. That energy exchange is incredibly important. It is. Because uh, for me, you know, my, my boundary thing, and it related to my last relapse, which luckily was only uh, about three and a half hours, but was very much that of someone just sucking the abundance of energy for, mm -hmm. out of me for their emptiness. And it's like, I've learned that one. Now I'm, now I'm rolling, rolling forward here, but, but you're about the fifth person who's like, take your day slow. So yeah. Oh, damn it, Jules. Now I got to listen to you and all these other people that <laughs> that it works so great for. Ugh. Let me challenge you real quick. Please. The way I learned about this energy is when I had to read the room as a little kid. Mm. So again, one of the things that were bad are now good. So when I would read the room, I'd walk into the room and I'd have to read that room energetically. Mm -hmm. Was it safe? Should I stay? who's all here, right? So if you read the room again, so if you are coming in at a more, if you're able to gauge that yourself, mm -hmm. if you pause, right? And, and kind of what you did as a kid, that, that cautiousness. I mean, you went to run in and be like, hey, no. Yeah. So have you ever done that where, 
you walk into the room, engage it. Absolutely. I, I think I still struggle with some fight or flight stuff and hypervigilance because um, uh, the last time my girlfriend and I went out, went to this friend of mine's jazz club that they own. Nice place. You know, we're getting our non-alcoholic, you know, our mocktails and charcuterie board and all this. But we're kind of like dead center watching the jazz band. And she's, are you OK? I'm like, no, I'm really uncomfortable. I can't see what's everything behind me. I don't know what's going on, you know, so I still kind of struggle, but I never thought of it in that way. Wow. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's just your intuition. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Wow. Well, I could talk to you forever, Jules. We might have to do this again. Oh, I've got a really interesting question that occurred to me. You talked about how, so you're, you're, God, we didn't even get into how your parents passing around the time of your sobriety. There was some, we'll have to do a part two down the road. Right. Baby, I'm in part two. <laughs> you are awesome. <laughs> I'm loving this, but uh, you know, you just used the name Jules, but you also brought up. So the name you last name you had at birth and then it changing did simply by going as Jules help you with that identity situation too, of like, like I am whole and complete and who I am. I don't need the, 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 the last names or is that a, just a concerted effort for privacy? It was when I got sober. Uh-huh. My real name is Julie. And one of my friends said, you're a diamond in the rough. Huh. And that's when I took on the name Jules. And and now I, I, I look at it with that kind of love, right? Like I was, it's, it's just a matter of time. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. I was curious <laughs> about that. Like why, why just, just Jules. All right. These are fun, random questions. Okay. Um, have a good time with them. Uh, if you were stranded on a deserted Island, you had uh, one movie with you. And one music album, what would they be? Birdcage. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan Lane is so great in that. And of course, Robin. Birdcage and ABBA. Real ABBA. Yes. Tell me about the ABBA love. My God, ABBA is like happy-go-lucky music. Sure. I would be dancing around the island. Oh, yeah. I'm going to be crazier than a loon, so I might as be dancing. <laughs> uh, true. Oh, man. Birdcage. God, Hank Azaria was so great in that. <gasps> Oh, God, I need to revisit that movie. It's been too long. <laughs> um, ooh, if you could have dinner with any one person, living or not, who would they be? Oprah Winfrey. Why? That woman has moved mountains. She is definitely one of my spiritual gurus at this stage of her life. Yeah. Have you read her, uh, anything about her, where she came from? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about a woman that took, wow, that, that kind of trauma. I mean, it's, yeah. Thinking yeah. about it makes, makes me emotional to do what she does. Um, extraordinary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And did it all against the, all against the odds. If you could have uh, one superpower, what would it be? Ooh. Oh God, I don't know. Let me think. 
you know, for some reason, <laughs> maybe it's because it is a challenge, but navigation would be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. That is my husband's superpower. Uh, my, mine is, of course, is the intuition. My husband's superpower, you know, <laughs> I don't <laughs> What's yours? Uh, mine would be healing. And, and when people go, oh, that's sweet. Not in the way that, you know, you think not like, but like I was present just before both my grandmas passed and I don't know what level of pain they were in. So it wouldn't necessarily be healing to, you know, prevent the end of life, but maybe that it was more of a peaceful journey. Cause I know uh-huh. that, that, that um, my dad's mom was in a lot of pain. Oh. And so for that, so yeah, just like maybe just be, or, or, you know, even in the aspect of if somebody like a, a mental health related type issue or that people like you and I, the trauma that did, does so much, you know, for me, it was the most painful thing to, to confront, you know, uh, I was completely numb. People still go like, Oh, you know, what were you running from when you were drinking? It was like, uh, I was actually wanting to feel something. I was numb daily. I was just a numb person, you know? So I was like, Oh, this is the only time I can feel joy and pleasure and, you know, anything. So, um, so yeah, maybe to just, put a hand on someone. And even if it's a momentary thing that, that give them a little clarity on it, you know? So that's powerful. That's powerful. Of course, uh, the book, uh, the making of a woman from the inside out, Jules, this has been an absolute pleasure and, and a privilege. A great time. Thank you. <laughs> uh, wonderfully fa- fascinating woman. And I'd love to speak with you again down the line. Yeah, let's do it. If you have any words that you kind of want to share with people about life through your experience, what, what, what might you lend? You know, looking back when I was struggling and not having any direction, knowing that I was, I was exactly where I was supposed to be doing exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. There's a source out there that is right there with me and it's part of the bigger picture. Strengthening communities, providing resources, building awareness, empowering youth in need to overcome adversity and achieve success. This is what the Carlos Vieira Foundation is all about. Through our campaigns, the race for autism, race to end the stigma, and race to be drug free, we're able to help so many in need. Our goal is to provide support to families and children and give these families opportunities that might not normally arise. Learn more and find out how you can get involved. Visit Carlos Foundation.org today. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. 
No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.